0: So it's important for us to, to see, especially as we're breaking things down today, that Nehemiah's tasks, that the thing that he had been called by God to do, that is rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, that task parallels the Holy Spirit's task in making us like Jesus, in restoring his people. There's a parallel there. Now I don't want you to misunderstand, when Nehemiah is recording this, when the Holy Spirit is is having Ezra gather this information for the sake of God's people. It's not just for us to know that we're going to be restored one day. When the Holy Spirit had Ezra gather this, it was probably just to encourage the Israelites that God indeed was keeping His promises that we talked about, like in Jeremiah 29, that God was going to indeed restore Jerusalem. God was going to indeed cause them to seek Him with all their hearts and then to find them that he was doing this work in them. But the application to us as New Testament believers is to see that parallel, to see that in the same way that, that Nehemiah was called by God to do this physical work of restoration, which was to lead to a spiritual work of restoration, that God's Spirit is doing a work in us as we walk within by faith to restore us and to make us like Jesus, to build up the walls in our life. But it's important for us to recognize that also that work doesn't happen without our cooperation. So we, we can't do what's needed to be done in our lives. We can't just decide, oh, I'm going to just follow Jesus and I'm sure I'll do that with no problem. It doesn't work that way. The standard that God calls us to is a standard that we are dependent upon Him to fulfill. We need the work his work in our lives to actually learn to follow Jesus, to be changed, to be restored. We need Him to do that work. But He doesn't do that work all without our cooperation. It's a process. It's a process where He does things in our hearts to work in us that we would will, that we would want what He wants, and that we would do, that we would do what He wants by His power for His glory so this is the parallel that we're going to see as we look at this section. So what I want to do is I want to give you kind of three main things that are necessary for us to actually desire restoration. Three things I think have to happen in our life. And not just as a one-off. There's something that needs to continually happen. These three things if we're going to actually continue to desire this work of God in our life. The first thing is this. We need to be assessing our need. So Nehemiah in verses 11 and 12, he he writes for us that he goes to Jerusalem and he stays for three days, probably just to rest after a really long journey from Susa where he was serving Artaxerxes to get to Jerusalem. But he also tells us that when he decides to do the survey of Jerusalem, that he gets up at night, that he actually does a kind of a secret assessment of what's going on. That he's doing something that he doesn't want them to see. Now there's some reasons for this that we're going to unpack, but I think even this itself is something for us to consider. That he's he's in a place where he he knows what God's called him to do. God's called him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's he's trusted the Lord. He prayed in brokenness for four months for this. He he trusted God when God needed to speak through him to get the favor of Artaxerxes to supply a military escort to supply the supplies. God's made it clear this is what he's going to do, but before it actually begins to happen, he assesses the work, interestingly enough, he assesses the work in secret. He doesn't tell the other guys what's going on. He doesn't tell the leaders of Jerusalem what he's doing. Now, Nehemiah was keen to carry on and, and push through with this work of restoration, but you can imagine that possibly the guys in Jerusalem maybe not so keen You can imagine an older generation of those who are in Jerusalem thinking, you know what, we've been trying now for years, decades, to try to get this city rebuilt. And every time we try to do the walls, the enemy comes in some way and we just never get the walls done. What's the point? What's the point? This thing's never going to be totally restored. And, you know, you you can imagine them just kind of them being discouraged, thinking, "This, this can't happen. Or maybe a younger generation... Think about the generation that that were the children of those who'd first gone back to Jerusalem to restore it. And they saw the temple rebuilt, and they saw the the worship of God already beginning to happen again, sacrifices being made and so forth. And they're probably apathetic. What do we need walls for anyway? Are walls really that important? Yeah, the enemy's a hassle and they make fun of us, but who cares? We're doing good enough. As long as temple worship can happen, what else do we really need? And so, so Nehemiah sees a need to make sure that he's actually surveying the situation. He, there, there's a need for fresh eyes on the situation. And the same thing goes for our own lives. Oftentimes what happens is we are the worst judges of how we're doing Sometimes we're just discouraged and we think, man, what's the point? Am I actually even a Christian? I keep struggling with the same things. Am I ever going to grow? It feels like that part of the wall never gets built in my life. And so we think it can't happen. We need fresh eyes on that situation. Or sometimes we're just apathetic. Well, I'm worshiping the Lord, you know? I'm doing better than most, even better than most Christians here, I think. And so in that... We think everything's okay, but we need a fresh set of eyes to look at what's going on in our life. What we need, I believe, is we need the Holy Spirit to do this work of revealing to us how broken we actually are. In fact, for some of you who maybe don't yet know the Lord, maybe this Christianity stuff is new to you. You're just kind of checking this church stuff out, this Jesus stuff out. You're not really sure what you believe about Him. We want you to know something, and, we, and we're not, I don't say this to make you feel weird or definitely don't say this to make you feel um, bad or at all worse than us, but we, humanity, are in the same boat, and we're in the same boat that our brokenness means we need God to show us actually how broken we are. We're so broken, we don't even see our own brokenness. We see the brokenness of the world out there, but quite often don't see our brokenness in here. The psalmist prayed this prayer in Psalm 139. This is from the New Living Translation. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the paths of everlasting life. See, this is what we need. We need God's Spirit to do a work in us to show us In fact, sometimes we don't even know. You know the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes about um, the fact that he and the other Apostles are stewards of the truth, and he says this. He says something along the lines, it's not gonna be on the screen, sorry, something along the lines of, I know nothing against myself, but that doesn't mean that I'm correct, but God's the judge. In other words, he's going, I don't have any kind of conviction of conscience that I'm doing something wrong, but it doesn't mean I'm not doing something wrong. Paul, who was a man after God's heart, seeking God, a man full of the Holy Spirit. Paul, who was a man who's had one desire in life, to know Jesus. Paul knew Jesus well enough to know he didn't know Jesus as well as he should. And we need this. There's a constant need for us to assess our need. And we need to pray like the psalmist. Because we have blind spots. Now, here's what we have to be careful of. We have to be careful that we're not just giving ammunition to our enemies to slander us. But we do need to say, Lord, I've got to trust you to, to show me where I really need to grow, where my faith is really lacking, what I'm believing wrong about you or not believing right about you. So, Nehemiah does this by night, right? And then verse 13, it says this. It says that he went out by night. He says he goes to the valley gate And the serpent gate, the refuse gate, we're not exactly sure where those are, we'll show a map in a few minutes. But it says that he viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down uh, and its gates which were burned by fire. He repeats that same phrase, that assassin phrase that he'd heard from his brother Hanani, right? When God began to do this work in his heart that he should go back. Now interesting, that word for viewed in New King James verse 13 viewed, it's also in verse, I think, 15 Somewhere else in this text I can't find it right here, sorry but that, that word for viewed in the English Bible, it's a phrase in the, in the Hebrew language that some Bible commentators say was used in other Hebrew literature to explain a medical procedure, a procedure where you would kind of assess a, a, a broken bone or a symptom to try to decide, okay, what's the right prognosis? Not only, what's wrong. But what's the way to fix this? And I think that's significant. Because Nehemiah isn't just trying to gain insight to the problem. Hey, what's wrong with the broken walls? He knows the walls are broken. He's trying to get insight to all right, Lord, how would you have me rebuild? What's the solution? How do you want to fix this? See, this is one of the ways we can discern when the Holy Spirit is wanting to put his finger on something in our life. Because when the enemy wants to condemn us, that's all there is. You're wrong. You're bad. You're unworthy. And all that is true. (laughs) But that's all it goes. He tries to push you away. But when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, He says, look, you're wrong here. Christ died for that, not just for your forgiveness, but for your freedom. Go back to Him. Look to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Look to Jesus. That's where restoration comes. It's interesting because I think sometimes we are we get one or both of these things wrong. Sometimes we minimize the problem. We don't see how serious it is. But think about this physically. Remember, we talked about this in the very beginning of Nehemiah. These broken down walls and these burned out uh, gates meant that the enemy could come in easily and disrupt all that God wanted to do. You had no, they had no protection in Jerusalem to, to, to keep things going. They maybe were allowed to do the very minimal but they couldn't actually be who God intended them to be while those walls were broken down. It was very serious stuff. And the threat of their existence was there. It's it's, it's so important for us to see this because here's what the proverb says about us as individuals. Listen. It says, He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So in other words, when we are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, that's what this is talking about, when we are not saying, all right, Lord, I want to follow after you, Jesus, I want to cooperate with the work of your Spirit, if we're not doing that and we're either apathetic or held down by discouragement, not dealing with our discouragement, you know what happens? The enemy gets in. And so sometimes we kind of think, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. I have to confess to you guys, I want to just be really honest about uh, my sin before you, okay? This week, I was avoiding doing this with the Lord. I was avoiding the Psalm 139 prayer because I was afraid of what might be there. I, I was, I was just really resting with this, like, Lord, okay, just, yeah, yeah. do what you need to do. Uh, I'm busy, though, and I'd kind of rush off to do my work. Because there's a need for us, isn't there, to kind of, when we're praying to God and asking the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, there's a, there's a, we need to sit and listen. We need to read His Word and see how the Holy Spirit might speak to us from His Word. We need to do that. We need to take some time. And I was avoiding that time, I'll be honest. And God nailed me this morning. It's one of the reasons I'm a bit emotional because God just nailed me this morning and, the, and it wasn't just because it wasn't just because of the things I didn't want to have exposed. God was saying, "Don't you believe, John, that I can still bring restoration? Don't you believe that I can grow you past these things? That I'm going to do what I've promised you. I'm going to do." And you know, and, I, and, I, and I I just really thought, "Wow, Lord, I'm so sorry." so slow to believe all that you say in your word. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> for your restoration. Thank you, Lord, that you deal with me. That you love me. That you speak to me through your word and by your spirit. But but with that comes this, there's a need for us to be confident in his restoration and that confidence, listen, it's important that we see that confidence comes through what God says he's going to do. This is what Paul talks about, this confidence of our restoration as believers in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to this. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that is vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things which cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone, but the things which we cannot see will last forever. Let's go back to seeing Nehemiah, not just as an historical reality, but also a metaphor for our restoration. Think of it this way, we don't see the walls finished yet, but we know when they're finished, they're finished forever. We don't know what it's like yet. None of us know what it's like yet to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We taste of that in worship or in service. We taste of that but we have yet to sit at the table and partake fully. None of us know what it's like to really love our neighbors as ourselves. We've tasted of that when we've made ourselves available to people that are hurting, Or when we pressed through the serve and we just thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. We've tasted that, but none of us have fully done it yet. But guess what? The walls are being rebuilt. And there's this great promise that it's going to be done. I was thinking about this reality of of us being in process, talking to uh, an unbeliever this week, and... um, I'm going to call him a pre-believer because God's doing a work there. Amen. Come on, um, go get him. <laughs> and we were talking about the the reality of what the standard that God calls us to, and he rightly said he wasn't he wasn't rude he was he was correct. He says, he says, well, no offense, but how come I don't see Christians doing that any better than non-Christians? Ouch. And I apologized on behalf of the church. <laughs> Sorry that we fall so short. But also said, but you know we have a great promise that. We are going to one day. That the world that you want, even as an unbeliever, and that we want is not a pipe dream. It's not, well, maybe 3,000 years down the road, we'll get it right as human beings. No, we see history clearly and know that history is just a proof, an evidence of how fallible and broken humanity is. And our hope is in the only man who is perfect. His name is Jesus Christ. And one day, the world we all want is going to be a reality. Now, Nehemiah goes on to talk about this in verses 14 and 15. He, he, he continues to describe what he did. He says, I went then, I went yeah, by the fountain gate to the king's pool. There was no room for the animal under my feet, he says. So I went up by, in, in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back, entered by the valley gate, and so returned. Now, we, I have a map that should be on the screen. And, and I'm not claiming this is exactly accurate, but the kind of the red line gives a, a basic idea of, of, of where Nehemiah went. So y- y- you probably can't, I don't know if you can read the words on the screen or not, but the sort of outside line is the current sort of wall of Jerusalem, the modern wall of Jerusalem. The small inside line was the, would have been the wall of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, okay? The red line is kind of the path that Nehemiah would have taken in his survey. And I'm showing this to you to see that his, his access to view things was limited, the, the rubble meant he had to get off his animal and walk, and it got to a point where he just said, okay, I'm going to have to turn back and go back through the valley gate. So he didn't even get to assess the whole thing, really. Now, the reason I think this is important is because we need to understand that, that our, our ability to even get our head around or see how much restoration needs to take place or what that restoration will finally look like is limited that should mean that, that we, we can't believe. It is amazing to me how often we just think, well, I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. So, but when was understanding a precursor for faith? Now, don't get me wrong. God doesn't call us to a blind faith. He calls us to a faith in the historical Jesus, the Jesus who we see who showed the character of God and the power of God and the authority of God as He walked on this earth, the Jesus who predicted His own death, the Jesus who died that death that paid for our sins, the Jesus who resurrected and ascended before many witnesses, the Jesus who is alive today. That's why we talk about having a relationship with Jesus, because He's alive, and we do. Our faith is in Him. Our faith is in not understanding how the plan's going to exactly come to pass, this is really important to understand because sometimes we, we so much want to know how everything's going to happen. You know what we're doing when we're doing that? We're doing the very thing that, that the Proverbs tells us not to do. We're leaning on our own understanding. And no, please don't get me wrong. It's important that we know what God has said. It's important that we engage our intellect to know truth well to have good theology, the right ideas about God that God has given to us about Himself. I'm not saying we shouldn't have that understanding or we shouldn't pursue that understanding. We should, but we don't lean on our understanding. And we have to admit, God hasn't made it that clear about how these things are going to come to pass. So so there's an area of theology called eschatology. Anybody ever heard that big word before, eschatology? Some of you have eschatology is the area of theology that deals with the last things, the consummation of all things. And in our group of churches in Carry Chapel, they have a very developed eschatology. They have a clear idea of what things need to be or how things are going to come to pass. Now, I don't disagree with the conclusions of our group of churches, Carry Chapel, but what I want to just be really clear. I don't think it's as clear as we've made it out to be. Well, I don't know who the Antichrist is going to be. I don't think we can know who the Antichrist is going to be. I don't know the timing of these things. No one can know the timing of these things. I don't know, it, you know, it, with the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation period, half of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. But I don't know if that thing comes to pass and where the church leaves and doesn't leave. I don't know how that stuff works out. And I've studied that stuff for 30 years. But here's what I do know. I know who holds the future. His name is Jesus. I know that how he's described this world we all want. I know the warnings he gives us about living in the last days and the sobriety that takes. I know that I have to keep trusting his word and not be deceived. I know things are going to be difficult for, for me and my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. The reason I'm saying this is because I think it's so important for us to study the Bible all all. Almost every New Testament book deals with eschatology, so we, do, we don't ignore it. So it's important that we study this, but I think it's really important that we recognize it's not always going to be so clear, but what is clear is who God's son is. God's destiny for us as believers is to be conformed to his son's image and what God has for us, which is that we get to enjoy him forever. This is the restoration that's taking place. Do I know what wall is going to be connected to what wall and what's going to, no, no I'm not sure. I have my own ideas. I, I'm fairly confident that I, you know, it's going to sound like a brag, but I don't mean to sound this like a brag, but I'm fairly confident that I know more about eschatology than most of you guys in this room. I've taught the book of Revelation three times, Daniel twice. I'm confident in what I understand about the end of all things, but I don't think it's that clear. And what we should emphasize is the Jesus who's coming back. We should press on to know him. He's the hope of restoration. Now, let's acknowledge as Nehemiah the limit, uh, how the brokenness around us limits our assessment and trust the work of God's spirit to show us what we need to know when we need to know it. Amen? So that's the first big thing. Took most of the study to talk about that. I apologize. Assessing our need. Here's the second big thing. We need to learn. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us how to utilize God's people. Notice I said utilize, not use. <laughs> we relate to people, we don't use them. But we do need to utilize the resource that God's given us in His people. So in verse 16, He tells us, is when Nehemiah tells us clearly, He says, um, And the officials did not know uh, where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or the others who did the work. Other versions said who would do the work. So it could be either way. But in other words, the people that are already busy, involved in some of the labor that maybe was slowly progressing or those who would be involved and all the nobles, he didn't say anything. You know why? Because Nehemiah didn't want to come with just an idea. He wanted to come with a plan. God, what is it you want to do? How is it you're going to do this? Now, I think there's an application to this to us as a local church. So my responsibility with the elders, we don't have any right now, we're getting some soon, but with the other team who lead is to say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? What is it that, how is it, do you want us to move towards Restoration. And as different opportunities come up, we pray and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we believe that God gives us not just an idea, but a plan to move forward. And no way am I saying that my plan or our plan is foolproof or perfect or inspired in the same degree that Nehemiah's plan was. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying there's an application here, that Nehemiah had to receive what was God's plan? Obviously, God in His Word wanted to restore the walls of Jerusalem. That was totally clear from Jeremiah 29. How it was going to happen had to do with the, the way God was going to use Nehemiah and leading these guys to move forward. So I, I I ask you guys something, okay? I ask you this as the congregation to do two things. One, three things, <laughs> actually, three things. One, pray for us in leadership that we would have wisdom and knowledge to know how to go. Okay? Two, Challenge us if we are doing something that is contradicting Scripture or undermining the work of discipleship, because that is what God clearly says He wants His church to be about. Three, trust us. Trust that if, doing those, if those first two things are there, hey, we're, we're all praying for God to do a good thing and seeking His, his, his will, and uh, we're not doing anything that's going to undermine that work of discipleship that we're really pursuing. Trust us when we're making these other decisions. It's really hard, seriously, it's really hard when people want to sort of take a lot of time to, we have to explain to them why we made this particular decision about this thing when it has nothing to do with, with undermining discipleship or anything like that. So I'm not saying don't ask questions if you want clarity. I'm just saying, can you trust that we're trying to lead the church and way we're supposed to go? Now, Nehemiah comes. He doesn't just have an idea. He's receiving a plan from God. And what happens? Verse 17. It says, So then I said to him, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and the gates are burned with fire. Come now, he says, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And he says, And then I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words, which had been spoken to me. So, so what's he doing here? He doesn't just come with a, uh, an idea. He says, here's the plan, and he, and he wants to make sure that he's convincing these guys. He wants them to see that this plan is not his plan. It's actually God's plan. This is what God wants to do. God says in his word he wants to restore the walls of Jerusalem, so this is all what we're trying to do. How does he do that? He reminds them of, of the obvious need. The walls are burned, them, they need to be rebuilt. But also he reminds them of God's work. God's been working in me and through me already, he says. And then he says, and what about God's provision? What did the king agree to do for us? The pagan king, Artaxerxes, agreed to do this for us. Look what God's doing. He's wanting to, listen, he's wanting them to understand, look, it's not me I'm asking you to follow. I'm saying let's follow God in this and see God do something. That's what Nehemiah is trying to say. Interesting. Again, the Apostle Paul had a similar situation, and again, please don't think I'm equating myself or even Nehemiah with what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14. But there's a principle here. In 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians and say, "Listen, I love you guys. You love Jesus. Great things are happening. However, there's a lot of bad things are happening. One of the bad things is you're totally abusing the gifts of the Spirit. You're not using them rightly. And so when he gives really clear directions in 1 Corinthians 14, here's how they're supposed to be operated. He knows that people are going to hear that and go, that's just Paul's opinion. Why do we have to be that way? But Paul says this, if anyone thinks of himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So Paul says, here's my authority as an apostle. Now, be really clear, I'm not an apostle. I have no authority like like the apostle Paul did. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Everything that we try to do goes back to this book. And so, if there's a problem with anything that we're doing, and, and I think I, f- I, th- I feel like I need to say, there's not a whole lot of people complaining, so don't think that. I'm just trying to be clear, looking at Nehemiah. But anything that you, you you're concerned about, make sure you're water- washing that through what this book says. Mm-hmm. Is my concern a biblical concern? If it is, man, you don't just have an, a, a, a right; you have an obligation to come and talk to us about that. I'm concerned about this direction of this thing. I don't know if this is actually what. God would say in his word, we would, we would do, bring that to us. Please bring that to us. We want to know. But we want you to be encouraged. In fact, I would say this. I would be this bold and say this. If you're a believer and you're a part of Servants Church, but you feel like we're not doing what God wants us to do, this is not how God wants to accomplish his will, I'm not offended by that, but there's a, that might be a good indication that you're in the wrong church. Now, because it could be that you can't, think, you can't say anything unbiblical, but you're like, this is not how I thought we were, we were supposed to, to, to build God's kingdom. And it may be because God wants you to be in a different fellowship. And again, nobody's complaining. Don't take this as anything pointed or anything. I'm just trying to be clear here. These are principles that I see in these scriptures. God wants to do something in us and through us. He wants to use us even more than he's doing now. He wants us to reach people for him, help them to follow him to make disciples who can make disciples. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pursuing. This is God's plan. Now what happens when he gives this plan? In in the second part of verse 18, what do they say? So they said, let's rise up and build. The old guys are encouraged. The young guys are moved to action. It says, then they set their hands to do this good work. Think of this this way. The idea to set is to grasp. They, they, They literally pick up their tools. Let's go. Come on. Let's do it. They weren't just like, yay, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. It was nothing like that. This was like, you know what? This is God. God wants to do this. We can trust God for this. Let's build. Let's see what God wants to do through us. Now, it's interesting because At this point, many of you might be thinking, oh, okay, I see. John's talking about the new building. God's given us a building, so everyone needs to say, yes, let's rise up and paint walls and prune bushes. That is not what I'm talking about. The the truth is, guys, though we hope when we have work parties, everyone shows up and enjoys the fellowship of working together, the truth is the vast majority of you probably won't do much as well as fixing the building. That'll be a very small group of people because they have the skill set. I am talking about the work that God wants to do, the reason behind him giving us this building. It's the same reason why we're in this building. It's the reason we exist as a church. God is calling us to bring people into his kingdom and to see them grow as disciples. That's what I'm talking about. I I, I am praying that we catch that vision, that we say, yes, Lord, you've called us to go and make disciples. You want us to help people know Jesus and to walk with you. you want us to help each other know Jesus and walk with Jesus. That's what I'm hoping you catch the vision for. Not just doing church. Not just having multiple sites, whatever the case might be. Actually wanting to make disciples. These guys were moved to action, not just enthusiasm. Hey, I love a hearty amen, but I want to see some action. God wants to see some action. Amen. So. We need to be assessing our need or, or asking the Holy Spirit to assess our need, really. We need to be utilizing God's people. We need to know, okay, I can't grow as a disciple without these people. I can't do the work of discipleship without these people. It's a team sport. We all have to be involved. It's not a spectator sport. But also, we need to be resisting the enemy. This comes up over and over again in the MI, doesn't it? In verse 19, it says, but... But when Sanballat, the Hor- uh, Horonites, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and oh, there's a new dude, Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us. Now, we don't know much about Geshem, except for he's called an Arab, but we do suspect that he was the leader of the uh, sort of the Arabian army that would have been kind of butted up right against the area of Jerusalem. So in one sense, he was a bigger threat than these other two guys. And you get an idea that these two guys... Uh, Sam, Bilat and Tobiah are just trying to say, well, we don't have much muscle to flex, so we'll bring in some muscle from the outside to flex against you guys. Now, it's interesting that this happens when? It happens when God's people say, let's rise up and build. Let's be obedient to do what God says in Jeremiah 29 needs to happen. Obedience always increases spiritual warfare. Some of you are, might be here this morning going, man, I'm trying to walk in obedience with God, and it feels like as soon as I walk with obedience to God, everything falls apart. Guess where that comes from? You have an enemy who doesn't want you to walk in obedience. <laughs> Last thing he wants to do is see restoration happen in your life. So you can attack him forever he can get in. Notice what he does. Discouragement through belittling. <laughs> what are you guys going to do? They do this all the time. It happens over and over again in the book of Nehemiah. How how are you going to continue on with God? You don't have real relationships. They don't want you at Servants Church. You're not cool enough or young enough or old enough or mature enough. Besides, look who's leading the thing. (laughs) I ain't going to go anywhere. He belittles. Now, the truth is the enemy sometimes is accurate about our weakness. He likes to exaggerate it, but he's often accurate. It's not our strength that's the issue, is it? It's not our ability that's the issue. In fact, God's not even looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Who's willing to make themselves open? Discouragement through belittling. But what else also? What do they say? Will you rebel against the king? Now, was Nehemiah rebelling against the king? No, the king gave him written permission to go do this. At our exercises. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to cast out in the midst of the Israelites. They're ca- trying to cast out by questioning. Have you ever had that? You ever just kind of feel like, oh, I, I want to press on with God, but there's, you're kind of nagged about this question? And you're going, Well, I don't know if that's important. I think I know the answer, but I'm not sure. But just there's enough doubt to keep you from actually acting on your faith. You know what I'm talking about? That you have a doubt comes in, that question that comes in, and it keeps you from actually stepping out in the way God wants you to step out. Actually walking in obedience the way God wants you to walk in obedience. That's how the enemy works. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians, right? This is kind of what we're we're up against. This is the battle we're in in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 to 12, again, reading New Living Translation, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, the things we just saw. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Now, we're Sam Blatt and Tobiah, flesh and blood enemies. Absolutely. But it's the spirit behind there that's bad but against all evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, <laughs> against the evil spirits in heavenly places. So we do have people who persecute us. We do have people who, who, who want to mock us or belittle us. But there is a, a, a spiritual reality behind that. No, no, please, again, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Uh, definitely don't misapply what I'm saying. I'm not saying... If somebody's against you, you say, you're the devil. It's not going to go over very well, all right? You're going to look like an idiot. Please don't do that. (laughs) But I'm saying that you recognize that when when things are happening that are keeping you from turning to the Lord, that often those things are not the person, not from that person. That person's being used by the enemy to try to do this. Now, I also want to be careful with this. Just because somebody makes you feel bad doesn't mean that's the work of the enemy, Sometimes the, the sort of conviction that comes is that you think, oh, you're, just, you're belittling me. No, I'm just trying to help you to see that you need to repent in this area. That's not the enemy. That's the Lord. Just like the Holy Spirit speaks to us individually to say, you've sinned, but Christ died for that, we speak to one another to say what the Holy Spirit would have us say. Hey, yeah, you sinned here, but Christ died for that. Let's turn back to Jesus together. But also, look what happens. Not only did they rec- do we need to recognize the enemy's tactics, but we need to remember the Lord's authority because what does Nehemiah do? He says, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. He didn't say, Artaxerxes said I could do this. <laughs> I have planning permission. <laughs> he didn't say, the school likes us. We're in favor with them. We're allowed to have worship service. They didn't lean back. He didn't, Nehemiah didn't lean back on real human provision that was from God. He didn't lean back. He wanted them to know, no, it's it's God who's doing this. And God Himself will fulfill His word. God Himself will make this come to pass. We have to understand this. When we talk about God's authority, please, let's not forget whatever God says will come to pass. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by one no means pass away. Everything Jesus says about who we are, about who God is, about what's happened in the past, about what's going to happen in the future. Everything that Jesus says, according to Jesus, will come to pass. And He predicted His death and resurrection. Hmm. (laughs) I think we can take His word above anyone else's. But also notice, He also says, therefore, in verse 20, we His servants will arise and build... Remembering the, Lord, the Lord's authority includes us remembering we can do the work He calls us to. That's not some kind of weird name-it-and-claim-it thing. That's just fact, reality. Paul said uh, to Titus, he said this, Jesus gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless need, deed and purify Himself as own special people, and what do they do? Notice, zealous for good works. So God calls us good things. He calls us to do things that help one another to become like Jesus, to restore us. And God calls us to believe that we can indeed do those things. Do you believe it? I guess not. Do you believe it? Maybe a little bit. Do you want to believe it? This is what God wants to do. He also says to them, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Now, let me, let me say something, uh, just to be clear about something, okay? And, and I know that some of you might disagree, and, I, and I'll admit this is a bit of a secondary issue, so I don't want to divide with you, but I just want to be clear about wh- where I stand on this stuff. With the exception of dealing with demon-possessed people, you never see anyone in Scripture address a demon, a demon directly. Unless someone's demon-possessed, they don't address a demon directly. It just doesn't happen in Scripture. The reason I say that is because the enemy often attacks. We deal with the demonic realm. And I don't believe that God calls us to just kind of always address the demon or the demonic influence. We address God. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil, That means we stand and we move forward. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to say, Satan, I'm not listening to you. I'm not saying that's wrong. Please don't get me wrong. But I think sometimes we, we can see this and kind of go, oh, that's the pattern. I need to sort of shout out Satan. And if I shout out Satan, he'll run because he knows he has no authority. I don't think this is what this is alluding to. Remember, Sam Blatt and Tobiah and Geshem, these are real people. I think the, the application here is this, okay? The enemy's going to be defeated, and we can trust that God will bring that Victory. This is what Paul again says in Romans chapter 16. Listen, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Who's going to do the crushing? God. Whose feet is he going to use? Ours. When's it going to happen? Soon. That idea of a, sort of a foot, the foot crushing. When one king would, would conquer another king, often before they would maybe kill that king or maybe even let him stay alive, but under certain things, he would have to lay on the ground and the victorious king would put his foot on the neck of the defeated king to show I have authority over you. In a sense, that's the picture Jesus, that, that Paul's saying. Soon, God makes the devil lay down and you get to put your foot there and say No. We're not there yet. Until then, we resist his work. We recognize it and we resist it. And we move forward. And we remember, Lord, you have all authority. This is going to come to pass. This is going to come to pass. If we're going to desire restoration, we have to let the Holy Spirit assess our needs. We have to learn how to utilize God's people and we have to learn to resist the enemy just for the desire. Are you desiring Restoration. Do you want to be changed?